Welcome to Chasing the Chaos. We're like the storm chasers. Except we chase the chaos of the storm. We take the mayhem of mainstream media and spice it up with an interesting twist. Livezone and I, we have this rivalry going on between blue and red, and I feel like the reason why I like it is because it's a red. No, thing. they have. They, <laughs> I think ancient aliens came down and they built those pyramids because they built them in certain spots for certain reasons. Fucking seeing people beat the shit out of each other. <laughs> like Curves up. <laughs> As temperatures soar, the wildfire fight is also heating up in B.C., which officials say is now record-breaking in parts of the province. The B.C. Wildfire Service is issuing a stark warning, calling this year an anomaly. While officials say there haven't been significantly more blazes this year, a lot more land has burned, and most of the fires burning right now are human-caused. This is not a usual May. This is not even an abnormally dry May. This is something exceptional that we're seeing right now. We just need the public's help, really, in, in regards to, to reducing the number of fire starts we have to help us really get control of what we have right now, which are very aggressive fires. And the more we get, the more it stretches us. And the harder this is going to be for us to, to maintain the situation that we're in right now. In the heart of Canada, a fiery battle unfolds as relentless wildfires surge across the landscape, captivating headlines around the globe. With fierce intensity and a voracious appetite for destruction, these infernos have transformed lush forests into charred landscapes, leaving communities in their path at the mercy of their unpredictable wrath. As the flames dance amidst the backdrop of towering smoke columns, the Canadian wildfires serve as a stark reminder of the fragile balance between human civilization and the awesome power of nature. While firefighters and volunteers valiantly fight against the raging flames, the sight of these fiery behemoths illuminates the urgent need for innovative solutions to protect both lives and the precious ecosystems that define this vast and beautiful country. So, I mean, for me, this is really the question of the day. How can the United States help Canada in being more like Smokey the Bear in preventing forest fires? Huh. I mean, there's a lot of things they can, they can do at the moment. Uh, and there's a lot of research I've been doing as well on this. And according to USA Today, there's more than 400 wildfires burning across the country, and half of them are out of control. Yeah, and in the 12 days that this fire has been going on, over 4.4 million hectare acres of land has been burned down. That is 4.4 million? 4.4 million. That's uh, 10 years, like that's the 10 year average for wildfires in Canada in almost two weeks. You'd think you would, like, do something about that. Well, I mean, there's only so much we can do. Uh, like, right now, there's 5,000 Canadian firefighters fighting on the ground right now trying to get this thing under control. There's over 1,000 international firefighters coming to help from as far as Spain and Portugal. The Canadian Air Force has been trying to stop it. We have the U.S. Air Force air tankers going over, and those things are behemoths. Like, yep. they're insane to watch. They're going over to help. Uh, they're using new thermal sighting from drones to try and find hot pockets before they spread to do like really small local localized fire suppression or even controlled burning in some areas to stop and prevent it from going into neighborhoods and cities and highways and to try to minimize the amount of damage that can happen. I mean, just from the past few years alone, we've learned a lot with trying to manage these massive fires that 
we've never really seen before. Yeah. And you know what's crazy? I heard Hot Pockets and instantly thought food. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think we really should start by saying thank everyone out there, all the firefighters and 110%. everyone fighting the, these fires in Canada for their service because that's not an easy task. Fires are deadly. Even the World Health Organization says that a wildfire is an unplanned fire that burns in a natural area like a forest, grassland, or par- prairie, and they're often caused by human activity or a natural phenomenon. So, I mean... They're not easily manageable. There's something that is just like, all right, big old fire that's taking up the size of the Amazon. Like we can't, that's, you can't prepare for that. Yeah, I mean, just from like the past and everything, we've saw it happen in Australia and then the West Coast. I drove through a lot of the areas that were damaged on the West Coast and it was the most mind-blowing thing I've ever seen. Like national parks that are supposed to be just luscious trees lining mountains and everything, gone. Just, just decimated. No That's... life, nothing. It was the most eerie thing I'd ever seen. And when I was driving cross-country, at one point there was, I think, like over 250 wildfires going on around us. So, like, what happened in New York and in a lot of New England to the southeast, like, where over 100 million Americans were affected by air quality alerts. I'm sure you guys got yeah, it on your phones, too. That orange hue is so eerie. Like, I don't know if you've guys seen the time lapses of uh, Times Square or anything and just watching the smoke come in, but it got yeah. so bad that you just couldn't see any of the buildings anymore. Yeah, it's just like a whole layer of mist, except it's not mist. It's actual, like, bad smoke for you. And I'm glad you brought up that air quality because there is something I did some more research into, which is air quality index. And I've never even heard of that before, but it's AQI is how they measure the quality of the air just yeah. based off the name. And from what I checked on the live map as of today, it they're in like the green to yellow zone, which is actually surprising given that they're really close to where a lot of the wildfires are happening. But a lot of the places that are like red, purple, maroon, which are like the deadly kind of parts, all of that, that's like right next to the wildfire. And one thing that did kind of spook me a little bit is the fact that a lot of the wind patterns that are in Canada are in circle formations. So that can only mean, at least from my perspective, that there's going to be a cyclone or a tornado coming up soon. And I really hope not. Look at the weather that we've been getting in the U.S. just this past week from the fire. Like, absolutely weird stuff. We got hail, like, the size of dimes and Mm -hmm. nickels the other day on Cape Cod, which doesn't happen often. The Just the eeriness of it all. Like, when I was at my house, I could tell, like, that there was smoke in the air. Like, it was just hazy, and all you smelt was, like, campfire. And, like, if you look at the, the weather maps, there's this giant, like, cyclone that's, like, pulling all the smoke down and then wrapping it back up the East Coast. And thankfully, where we are, we have something called the Bay Effect, where the water is either warmer or colder. So it kind of gives us, like, an air cushion that pushes a lot of that away. But a lot of Cape Cod just the other day, we were in the red zone for oh, wow. air pollution. That's... Yep. <laughs> now, this is, this, is why, this is why I asked you guys this. So... Going back to the question here, what can we do to help prevent that? Honestly, it would be as simple as, you know, wearing like a wearing actual protective mask when you're going out, at least in these situations. It sucks to say, you know, because we just got through with COVID and everything. But that's like one of the best ways to actually protect your inner lung system, because think about all the children, think about all the older people, the pregnant women that are out there and they have to go to the store or something or they have to go for some long distance and they can't do that because of the amount of smoke and smog that's out there. Yeah. Some, 
I have family that lives in New York City, and they had to cancel school. Like, the parks yeah. got shut down. People had to not leave their... They didn't leave their house for days because it just wasn't safe to go I mean, outside. Yeah, so that's how we can prevent things happening in the United States. But how can we prevent these fires from stopping happening in Canada? I would say the measures that are already being taken are one of the best methods. I mean, we would need... Like we already mentioned before, they're already using thermal to identify yeah. where these wildfires are. They're using, they're not really using water, but it's a certain formula that's actually being used that works faster than water. I've, I, it's eluding my mind right now, but it's using that or having like these certain uh, functionalities. And you know what? Fun, it's funny enough is I'm going to pull from an anime. They actually have these little specified quote unquote grenades where they put out fires instantly. As soon as you drop it, it just explodes with this chemical that just douses the fire. Those are real. Yeah. Yeah. I'm sure they're real things. Okay. So now we have all the smoke that's coming towards the United States. Okay. So how many firefighters did you say was on this? Uh, over 5,000 in total. And there's more going. Already over 5,000, right? right? And it's still not working. I wouldn't even say it's not working. Well, it's not working, but it's... it's I don't want to say it's not working, but it's it's not to the extent of what it should be. So, like, let me, get, like, let me give you an example for this, right? Imagine, like, just 4 million acres of dense, like, thick, wooded, mountainous mm-hmm. Canadian tundra. A okay. lot of that, you don't have roads to get to. There's fires popping up in all different places. So most of these have to be, you got to let it burn. You know, there's no way to stop it. You can only prevent it from spreading. And the only way it's going to stop is once there's no more fuel left for the fire to burn. That's why there needs to be more preventive measures put in place, like controlled burnings, so that the underbrush can get burned and it's not a tinderbox for fires like this or that have happened in the past. And then in a lot of cases, like when you look in the Amazon and even out on the West Coast, a lot of those fires were spread or started intentionally because, you know, collect insurance Intentionally, really? Yeah. Uh, when I was You up, think so? Oh, intentionally? Without, without a doubt. When I was in the West Coast, I had talked to multiple farmers that had stopped people that were trying to get onto their farms with Molotov cocktails and gasoline and stuff in backpacks just trying to spread the fire. And not to mention, like, I know that this is kind of like a little bit out there, and people were up in the air about it all. But when you look at the actual satellite imagery of this fire starting in Quebec, not to mention that the size and the amount that it's burning and everything is unprecedented. Like this is, hasn't happened in a very, very long time. They're saying it was caused by an electrical storm. There is no evidence of an electrical storm happening on either the uh, 31st or the 1st of June when this fire started. And when you watch the map, it literally is just in perfect rows, small little areas spread out all through Quebec that all spontaneously combusted at once. Wow. I've talked to multiple firefighters, and that's just not how wildfires work. If it was lightning, it would be way more random, and it probably wouldn't have been in that many spots. And on top of that, there would be actual evidence from NOAA and all the other satellite stuff that we have for weather prediction that says, hey, there was an electrical storm. But like I literally went online and did all the research to figure out what the weather patterns were like. I've watched all this stuff, and nothing is pointing to the fact that lightning started this. The fact that you said it's perfect rose, too, that's what got me, is the chance of that actually being a natural occurrence that's in an absolute perfect row is near impossible. Yeah. So the only way I could think, it's like an arsonist, which is out there just... I'm going to burn this. I'm going to burn that. But 
But why would they do that? That's what I'm trying to get at. What point is there? So like, I was, what, I was like, trying to scratch my brain on that for a while. And the one thing that immediately came to me was, what's the new white gold? Lithium. Where are all the new mines for lithium that are trying to be either pushed through or are just starting to come up in Canada that are getting all the pushback from environmentalists because they don't want to deforest all that area of land? Exactly where the fires are happening right now. That makes sense. So what are they going to use it for, though? Once there's nothing left, there's no pushback from environmentalists anymore. They can go in and start digging up all the lithium, which we need in today's society to be more green and to power our new infrastructure. Lithium batteries for cars, Duracells, all of those. Not to mention that there's a massive war front going on that everybody's trying to support. And how do you think all those drones work? How do you think all of our military equipment is run on? Most of it is lithium batteries, if not diesel fuel, or there's newer stuff that we'll get into maybe someday down the line that's pretty cool. But lithium is the backbone for all technology. So do you think this was just like a random person, or do you think that this was somebody that got sent out to do it? There's no way it could have been one person for all these spots, well, well, uh, well, you know what I mean. But like is it group? just a random group of people, or do you think it's somebody that like so got sent out? If you go back and you look at the Amazon fires, right, that was done by mining companies and farmers and everything that wanted to either clear cut the land for either mining or for growing soybeans, canola, and all that other stuff. And that's why the fires were getting so bad, and they were extremely hard to get under control. It's illegal to deforest the Amazon. But if it happens, quote unquote, naturally, well, then they can kind of just go in and do what they want because there's nothing there to protect anymore anyways. And as extreme and crazy as that sounds, it's happened over and over and over again, multiple times throughout history. So why wouldn't it happen again? Especially when we're at a time like this, where getting these rare resources from other countries is getting more and more hard and more expensive. So I I don't think they're really... Well, it's more of like a loophole that they're trying to avoid the political system from. So you okay. think it was? So you think it was somebody sent out? Yes. Well, I, somebody uh, was contracted in that sense. Whether it be the mining companies, investors, the whoever, it was some organization that went out and decided to start this thing. And you know what? I want to bring up something as well. The amount of impact that this is going to have on the whole climate change aspect. It's crazy because not a lot of people don't like look at the whole climate change, the environmental aspect. And personally, I'm I'm one of them. I don't really think of Correct. how Me it. Too. Yeah, I just don't think of how it actually looks globally. But it keeps raising the temperature. If you have something, if you have a country the size of Canada that is literally burning with wildfires all over the country, that's bound to raise the temperature of Earth, and that's going to melt the glaciers, and we're on a water planet, so what else do you think is going to happen? And it's not even just the fire. It's the smoke blocking the sun and causing a rise in the greenhouse effect, which just traps heat. and, And then not to mention, once the fire is done with, you have all of those trees, which I'm guessing is going to get over 6 million hectare acres of land. We're already at 4.5 million, and it's not even, it hasn't even been two weeks yet, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. So once all that land is decimated, those trees that are pulling all the CO2 and all that other crap out of the air and producing oxygen and absorbing all that excess heat, and that's what a lot of people don't really think about, is trees are like the air conditioners of the world. Yeah. So once those are gone, and they're gone, because they're going to be gone for years, it takes a wicked long time for those to grow back, that is what has the even bigger effect on the global-like scale, is that you're taking out these areas of the planet that bring life and sustainability to the whole planet. I guess my other question would be, 
the smoke that's coming our way, right? Can that affect any of the trees here? Can that affect anything down here? Or is it just smoke? Yes and no. It's more of it's going to impact us and it's also going to impact the trees because like like said, it's in it's our air conditioner. It's how we make how we get our air. Without trees, how else are we gonna get our air? We can't Correct. we can pull it from, you know, the at we're not from the atmosphere, but we can pull it from just like the general air from the atoms and like you know we talked about this a while ago where yeah. there's someone developed a technology that can pull actual pure water out of thin air so it's possible that air can be refurbished but at that point you still need like fresh air Correct. fresh authentic air and that's where these trees are coming in so if all the smoke is coming in and chuffing out all these trees not killing them it's going to take years and given the population that humanity is growing at what are we at like six six, seven billion, eight billion and yeah. climbing still, that's, it's going to get hard to control mm-hmm. because the amount of trees that we have is not going to be sustainable for how many people are actually on earth. And to add to that, carbon capture is a great technology. I mean, we use it on like all of our coal uh, plants and power plants just because it stops a lot of the emissions that are coming out and it's a preventative measure, right? Yep. And that works because they're generating power. So you can subsidize some of the power that the plant's creating to make it a little more green, right? Mm -hmm. But when you just have these massive carbon capture plants, you need some way to power that. And how are you going to power that? Solar, wind, maybe... That, or you're going to burn more coal or burn more pollutants. And even if you are using solar or wind, how are you making those turbines? Where are you getting the materials from? And it all trickles back down to you're stealing things from the earth and polluting things to get the green energy. And it just is this never-ending cycle of you know people wasting stuff. I mean, there's a, a huge shortage in balsa wood right now because balsa wood is used in wind turbines and balsa wood is also an endangered species. So, you know, it all ties together in this really fragile system that we just haven't been treating right for way too long. Okay, and then now the last thing I want to ask is two weeks, correct? Two Uh, weeks this has been going on? 12 days. 12 days, so almost two weeks. weeks. All right, and you said how many acres of land? 4.4 4.4 hectare acres as today. Okay. So with that being said, how much longer are we going to wait until this is resolved? It, it's it not all even depends. A, it's not even a matter of waiting. It's more of we can control it, but it's all waiting on what the fire is going to do. It's not something that we can be like, all right, we're going to swoop in and just extinguish the whole thing. We can't do that. And even if we did get it to a point where it's like, okay, we think it's almost completely out, you get a weird prevailing wind that comes through and just sets a whole other part ablaze, and then it's spreading all over the place again. And this is along, like, the whole Canadian border right now. This isn't even just in Quebec anymore. Like, the amount of land that this is covering is massive. Like, this is going to take a huge effort from lots of people to get under control. So let me put it in this sense. So you know when you build a fire, right, just from scratch, you put stones around it to prevent it from spreading, right? Once a wind hits that fire, that fire is going to trickle over the stone, and now it's going to spread out to wherever it wants to go. That's the problem. We can have that stone barrier that surrounds these wildfires, but the, mi- the only problem is the minute that wind picks up or the some- that something, some natural occurrence happens and it just blows the wrong direction, 
Now we have another fire to deal with. And that's why they try to set up fire lines near highways and rivers and all these other natural things so that they can utilize these structures that are already in place to kind of act as a barrier so that it doesn't hop that. And that's what they're trying to do right now. I, I wish we could talk about this longer, but I highly recommend that everybody go and do your own research. Like seriously, go on NOAA, go on all these other websites that are tracking the fire and the smoke maps. Make sure that you have PPE if you're in an area that's going to be super affected. And, you know, if you want to send some stuff out to the firefighters, they'll greatly appreciate it. But um, let's just hope that we can prevent something like this from happening again in the future. Coming up next, we're going to have some more big news for you, so stay tuned. That's the Brian O'Connor school driving right there, baby! California Governor Gavin Newsom signed a new law aimed at combating illegal straight race, street racing and sideshows. The law, known as Assembly Bill 3, introduces a driver's license suspension for up to six months as an additional punishment for offenders convicted of these activities. This law will be in effect on July 1st, 2025. Supporters of the law argue that street racing and sideshows have claimed too many lives and that the new legislation will help make communities safer. Currently, street racing and aiding or abetting in such activities are prohibited by state law, carrying penalties of jail time and fines. The new law expands this punishment by allowing the court to impose a driver's license suspension of 90 days to six months and restrict the offender's driving to an employment purpose only. The court will have the discretion to consider hardships faced by the convicted individuals when deciding on the suspension or restrictions of their licenses. The bill will also be co-authored by several state assembly members and a state senator. Sideshows are described as illegal gatherings where drivers perform tricks with their cars, often blocking traffic lanes and attracting large crowds, gun violence, and drug use. Incidents related to sideshows have led to serious injuries and pose a challenge for law enforcement agencies. How does California's new bill against the car community impact the safety of others? Well, it seriously impacts the safety of others because of the fact that these car shows, or I shouldn't say car shows, these dumb moves are get, being destroyed now, finally, because the fact that these takeovers are even a thing, it's completely different from street racing for one. Obviously, both are a bad thing, but I'm saying that in the sense, would you rather have people go out of their way away from residential areas or would you have someone that's in the middle of an actual working busy intersection just to close it off and do donuts when they can't even do donuts? All right, Mr. Racer. You know it. We shouldn't even be talking about this right now. <laughs> like, let, let's be honest here. We're talking about California trying to put in rules for our car community to make others safer. What about everything else in California, Right. Yeah. What, what about all the gains and what about all the gun violence and everything like you were saying, right? So why are, we, why are we bashing car communities when that's not even the worst part of California? Because where are these gangs going to group up? What interests are they going to have in common? This is the place of where, one of the places where they're going to group up. Oh, here's a car community going on. We're just going to exchange weapons here. Or, oh, we're going to just do this as a meetup just to go shoot up this no whatever. No way. That's not how and gangs like in Compton or something works, bro. That's not how they work. Every gang has a certain 
function of how they're going to operate. You're going to have racer gangs. You're going to have actual criminal gangs. You're going to have cartel. Each of them are going to function in a different manner. And if this is how they decide to do it in California for a particular gang in an area, they like to do it at a takeover show just to say, oh, yeah, we got them. Or, oh, we're just going to, you know, just have some fun and do donuts in the middle of an intersection because we can't. Yeah, they can do that. It's a show of force being like literally F the police because you are not going to be able to stop us. That's how California's been forever since the 80s. Yeah. Look at Dr. Dre. And look how bad it is now. Like, look how terrible the society is out there. The reason why this got so strict as well, because California was a hotspot. We're not going to deny that. California is a hotspot for racing. Of course it is. They have SoCal. And that's, that's, what is it? They got street runners, street hunters, whatever. They got so many car crews out of there that are so elite for like the high class of underground racing. And even in the 50s and 70s, they were huge over it. And the strictness only came from the emission laws. That's why California is so strict, and that's why it's so hard to be a race car driver or a car community person in California because of the amount of restrictions and the way that cops can just look at your car, and if it's custom in any way, they'll be like, oh, well, he's a racer. I'm going to exactly. throw these on there. You're, you're proving my point, right? That This is about California. This isn't about the racing community. It's both ways. But that's what I'm telling you is, look, NWA. I'm sure you guys heard of it, right? Their first hits, or their second hits on, sorry, fuck the police. Why did they do that? I don't listen to raps. Because the police had too many rules around them in California. But there's no rules in California right now. Like, I literally think this is hilarious that this is the number one thing that they're trying to target right now when they should be targeting a lot of other stuff. My point. Like the the cartels that are running rampant in Southern California and pushing people off their land. Thank you. Or the fact that it's legal to have an ounce of methamphetamine and the cops can't do anything. But you have to make small steps in the right direction. This is killing people. And if you're a part of a real car community, a real car group, you're not going to be doing this. This is like childish, gang-banging, like, I'm going to go blast my... Freaking gat with a you know a drum mag in it and spray listen. Let me clarify. When I say racer, I am a track driver. There is a difference from street racing. You're a driver. Track driver. There's a difference. Track driver. There is a difference between track racing, there's a difference between street racing, and there's a difference between takeovers. In the context of takeovers, this is a step in the right direction because of what California has done. They're getting rid of the fact or they're getting rid of that kind of power, that chase of power that all of these, you know, minor people, minor gangbangers are out here trying to do in California. And what do you think is going to happen when California puts these rules in place? Obviously, they're going to try and find another location to go. Exactly. So California people don't listen, bro. Yeah. So it's just going to get more strict. That's the whole point. This is a step in the right direction. They're trying to get rid of these events. Having need for speed, IRL should I'm, not exist. Uh, I don't know about that, but I'm, I, ain't <laughs> no, gonna, I'm gonna, I ain't gonna go to that point. I'm gonna say that point. Need for speed, IRL should not exist because street racing and takeovers are two completely different things. Look at Need for Speed Unbound. Look at Heat. What is the biggest theme of it? You're literally do- doing donuts around the cops, fighting a rivalry with the cops, and you're just doing donuts and causing havoc, running things over. They just put people into Unbound. You can literally just pass straight through them. You can knock stuff over, boxes, cars, toss them around. That's what's going to happen in real life, except on a way more fatal and deadly scale. uh, So let me make sure that I put this out there. I'm not saying that the takeovers are justified. I'm just saying that California should be worrying about a hell of a lot more than just 
a takeover. As a takeover, I mean, obviously, but I'm saying... Or any takeover. They have way more problems than that. They may, but this is still, like like said, this is a step in the right direction. They're killing two birds with and, one stone. Right in the direction for what? For the car community, not for everybody no, for involved. Both. No, for, both. for like, both. Like I said, if you are a part of a legitimate car community, this is stuff that you don't agree with. I, I Listen, I get that, and I'm not saying that the takeovers are justified, yeah. like I said. Street racing, that's a whole different story. Me and you can get into that yes. anytime. But no, go listen to one up. <laughs> but but for takeovers, I'm not saying that that's justified at all. I'm just saying that California, like you said, with all the cartels and all the drugs that are involved, hard drugs that are involved in California, they have more problems than this. And I don't know why they're starting at this when this is a little problem compared to the big ones. All right, then I agree with you on that. I, I will agree with you on that. Let's it, look at it from the point of a civilian. I do agree saying that there are a lot more problems at hand. But I'm saying my whole point is that this is a step in the correct direction because they're doing two birds with one stone. They're getting rid of the non-car people and they're addressing safety of the people. Let's look at it from the point of view of a civilian. Not interested in cars. They're just a normal civilian trying to get to work. Okay. If you're trying to literally go through the intersection or you're trying to go through the one area where you actually have to go to work you, to avoid going an hour around or 30 minutes around just to go to your work and these takeover kids are just taking up the whole lane, okay. backed up. Cops can't go where they need to go. Ambulance can't go where they need to it's, go. That's what I you was going to say. smoke, which is already prevalent, like we spoke about last segment, with the smoke coming in. Yep. This is West Coast. So we're probably talking like lower West Coast, most likely upper West Coast, wherever. But either way, you have all of this smoke generated from cars that's mixing with the wildfire smoke. Now you have an environmental problem. So they're getting a lot of things. There's way more than just the car community that's at hand here. So- it's yes, it seems oriented towards the car community, and in a way it is, but it doesn't just directly impact the car community. It direct it impacts everyone. Okay, but we're not talking about the real problem in California here. That's what I'm telling you. I want you to say what you said about the drugs. Say it one more time. Uh, people are getting pushed off their land in Southern California. The cartels are literally coming in and either buying their land out from them or threatening their either their lives or their families' lives. And they're like, we have pictures of your kids. If you either will sell us your land or we're going to just kill you. And, and the cartels don't mess around. And that's a huge problem. And you can, you can have what on your hands at times? Uh, an ounce of methamphetamine and other hard drugs, uh, including fentanyl, heroin, crack, all that. Uh, drugs are decriminalized. Out and there. we're worried about a car community. But how are those drugs getting transported? They're being made in the state. How are they getting transported? You're going to throw them right into the place no one's going to look. Cars. Yeah, you throw them not, into custom that's not cars. How these gains work out here? This isn't this isn't Massachusetts. This honestly. isn't East Coast, bro. Hey, I don't know how they work in Massachusetts. This <laughs> isn't this isn't East Coast. This is a whole different thing. This is West Coast. It's built different down there. I promise and you. They're cartels. They're using drones, drone submarines, like crazy tech. That's insane. Like the, to the point where the U.S. military has actually been trying to copy the cartels on how they move goods so that they can better resupply troops overseas. So I'm glad you brought up East Coast then. Let's compare the two different types of laws that are going from New England side to California side. So like I'll let you open up for the California side. What are the types of laws that they have going around for the uh, 
I would say driver oriented or car oriented. So, I mean, it's uh, basically, it's illegal already. It's, uh, the, it's illegal to drag race. It's illegal to race. It's illegal to do these meetups, burnouts in the middle of the street. All of that is already an offense. What they're really trying to do here is just take the cars away from them and be like, look, you're not going to listen. So we're just going to impound all your cars. And if we believe that you deserve to have your license back, then we'll give it to you. But that's the thing, the belief that gives the entire but, uh, do you, hold on. Uh, that gives the entire power of the whoever's driving. It could be, let's just say my car is slightly custom. All right. Let's just say I'm literally just cruising along. I'm not even involved in takeovers anyway. Cop could light me up and it's just like, all right, we're gonna take your car under reasonable suspicion. They would do that anyways. It's that's California. The that's the problem. That's a problem I'm trying to think of. And that's why that this takeover situation is such a big deal because they're addressing that. And not only are they getting rid of the takeover kids, but they're starting to actually impact those who are trying to literally just exist. The car people, it's just like, okay, yeah, like a casual mod here and there, I'm just trying to get to the track. That's impacting them. Yes, there are issues at hand, but like I said, this is a step in the right direction. They're killing a lot of birds with one stone and that stone is this And bill. they're still gonna or do like the, the same thing regardless if they kill two birds with one stone. This is literally like the cyber aspect. What I've said this multiple times before, you can secure a network 99.99%. There's always the one loophole. So you're telling me, so you're telling me you're in California with your modded car. Okay. You're not part of this takeover. You don't think that they're going to stop you? They will. That was what I just said. They're yeah, but, but you don't think they're going to take your car or anything like that? They probably will. It depends on, really, that depends on what kind of cop it is. I mean, bro, you can't even have a gas lawnmower in California exactly. anymore. Like, exactly. You know, My yeah. point. California is just fucked. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, let's, yeah. like, that's the only way I can put it, bro. No matter what, the people are not going to listen. It's been proven the 80s, the 90s, the 2000s, the 2010s, and now the 2020s as well, right? They're not going to listen. They're going to find some way to do what they want when they want. Oh, probably. That's the thing I can agree with you on. They're probably going to find some loophole, like I said. So if you're going to stop a problem, stop your biggest one. Either way, they're still going to find a way around it. You literally just said the cartel. You're managing a whole section. So, yeah. You just find a way to bash the amount of drugs that you can carry, or you find a way to ban the amount of drugs that you can carry. Cartels going to still, or whatever drug organization is going to find a way around it. That they might go to another state, they might go somewhere, some hidden part of California, and just operate there. They're going to find a loophole around it. And the difference between that and what they're trying to do here is that was voted on. The people voted to decriminalize drugs. So it's like, that's it, not as easy as just being like, we're going to write an executive order making these substances illegal again. I mean, sure you could, but do you really want to have all those riots again? Because that's 110%, exactly what would 110%. I mean, yeah, but that's what would happen is there would be a massive pushback again and it, God only knows what would happen. And you don't think there's going to be riots because of this though? Let's, look, probably at the grand, let's exactly. look at the grander scape of things, all right? So what's easier to manage? The drug control of a cartel that is probably a size that's larger than their police force or a car community that's smaller than whatever county that they have. I mean, th honestly, the car between the car community and the gangs and cartels, they already are way more armed than the police. Like, so they're what's straight be up talking to about bringing in the military to deal with the cartels, not just on the Mexico border and in Mexico, but in California. Like, so what's going to be easier to address? Okay. You're stuck in between a rock and a hard place. You got to do what you got to do. All right. 
Yeah, so I'm getting rid. Here. I'm getting rid of the big problem before I get rid of the small one. No matter what, no matter if it's the right or wrong decision, the big problem is the problem that matters. So therefore, I'm getting rid of that one way before I'm getting rid of something like this. I think we need a new governor for California. But getting back into the next conversation we're going to have here, how does this differ from street slash circuit racing. So this is where I can shine, and I'll make it real quick, too, because I can go on this all day. So the difference between track racing and actual street racing is, one, you're not putting people's lives in danger. Oh, incorrect. Racing in itself is a dangerous sport. I understand that. But the difference between circuit racing is your actual closed space. Let's just take uh, Daytona International Speedway, all right? We'll just take that. So you're going around this track. You're literally just turning one direction. Yes, you have maybe 100 cars on one track. It's a dangerous sport. You're, you're probably inches away from the next car going 200 miles an hour around a track. Correct. Obviously, that's what racing is. Mm-hmm. That's part, really, that's part of the adrenaline rush for it. Okay. In the same sense, you're going 150, 200 on street roads, populated street roads with civilians on the side. You have that occasional bike rider that's going to Starbucks to get his coffee. Like You have all of these factors that are getting thrown in here so I'm going to disagree. Okay. I'm going to disagree 110% being from a person that has been to a lot of street races and circuit races. It's not during the day and nighttime when everybody's walking around. It's like two o'clock in the morning when these straight races are happening or these circuit races are happening. Nobody is on the roads except for the people watching. But that's the thing. There's still people on the roads there. It's, yes, they get it's them out the of the way. Okay, but that's the point. They're still on the roads. It's not the point of getting them out of the way. It's the fact that they're just there. You can't move a tree. You can't move businesses. You can't move people's houses. You can't move their property. You can go up to New Hampshire and sign a waiver and pay your slip and go and do the drift track or this regular race track. There are places where you are able to go and safely race, and there's rules and regulations. You have to wear a fire suit. You have to have a helmet. A lot of places you have to have a roll cage. You're putting your life in danger, and yes, maybe other people's on the track, but you're not worrying about damaging or hurting any other civilians. And I want to add on to that with racetracks. What is the most common thing that you're going to see for safety if a racer were to crash? Tire walls, large gates. If you're going to Daytona, what do you see how massive that these things are? Cars are bound to flip. They're going to go airborne. Sure. They need to have that safety in place. First aid, fire suppression, medics, all there, all the time, ready to go in a second if somebody crashes. You don't have that on the street. And then if there's thousands of people around and the cops are too scared to show up and your car's on fire, bye-bye, you're gone. That's your choice. Even adding on to that, look at car community or just normal car shows, right? You have things like Cars and Coffee. You've Mm -hmm. got like big ones like Import Face-Off, Honda Day, all of those those are cop regulated, meaning the cops are there to help protect, not go for. They're literally there on standby with firefighters, with ambulance, with all of these, all these technical personnel, mm-hmm. with all the safety instructions. Mm-hmm. They're there to help. Whereas if you're going onto a street race, you're going 100, 200 miles an hour on a populated road, whether or not it's two in the morning, cops are going to be there to catch you and get you off of not the road. Not necessarily, because these are usually going circuit and street races. Street races are usually on a highway from what you say. I kind of disagree with that. Long story short, that's typically what it is. But but circuit races are usually on back roads where the cops are not. 
Typically not. They exactly. may not be. They may not be. But what's going to happen when they show up? Go to another location. They're still there. So years ago when street racing and circuit racing and all that was getting big, would you have been against it? The same way that you're against the stuff that's happening in California? Most likely. I mean, I love the way that cars are, but let's be honest. I'm a track racer. I love going fast, but Come on. it's complete. Like, let's be honest. All right, you can so cuss. All right, hold on. It's not. It's not as no, much no, no. as a problem as you're making just, it. Let's just say that you. Okay, hold on. Let's just say that you have that Paul Walker custom car, right? Okay. You got the four cars from that scene. All right. Mm-hmm. You're having all the. You're going in a straight line. Or no, you know what? We're going into a circuit race. You have a whole plotted line where you actually yep. jump. You know, you're dropping the drawbridge and all of that. All of that is coordinated. Now you have to deal with all the civilians that are on the road. Now you have to deal with all of the other factors that might be coming out. You got buildings, you got businesses, all of that. Yep. Now, if you're on a track race, you don't have to worry about all of that. You have an actual paved race meant road. Where, let, you know what? Let's just get into that. The roads aren't even smooth all the time. All right. Yeah, yes, I Cal- get that. Yes, it's California. They're likely to be more smooth, but that doesn't and mean they're I, race ready. I'm just ready. saying. I'm just saying. Street and circuit racing isn't as like big as a problem as you think it is it's it's not it's not the takeovers that are happening right now yes people do have a problem with it like you do i don't know why because you're a racer but you do there's a difference okay there's a difference no no listen 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 that's pro that's part of the adrenaline rush that's the point people don't just be like oh i'm gonna do this today no they 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 set this up they make sure that they're ready for it they drive and they're careful with their cars. So things like this don't happen. And they do it during two o'clock in the morning so people are not on the road. This this is the thing with street racing and circuit racing that's not takeovers. And I'll agree, it's not takeovers, but accidents do happen. And when an accident happens on a street race, but that's your choice. That's your tax dollar. No, that's that's not my choice. I have to pay for the ambulance, the medevac, the fire department, all that stuff, not to mention the traffic or whatever else if is going to happen. If your car crashes, it, yeah. say, say, say if you go into a, a street race, right? And you go crashing and you need an ambulance or whatever, that is your choice. You decided to go into the but race. It's coming out of our money. And yep. what if somebody else that actually needed that life-saving stuff that wasn't doing something stupid wasn't able to get it because they were helping out a moron that shouldn't have been doing what he was doing? That's my point on it. And I, I agree with what you're saying, too. It is way safer. It's a totally different thing. I just think it's irresponsible. Let me end it on this, all right? Live Zone, you made a great point, and like, you both made a great point as well. Street racing as a whole is already dangerous. However, if you're taking the necessary precautions to ensure that people are out of the way, well, then obviously you're going to try and... Which is what a circuit race is usually. No, no, no. What a circuit race, the difference between a circuit race and a street race is the environment. I already told you they have like street specifically race made roads. They got safety precautions. Yep. That's the difference between a street race and a circuit race. Or yeah. even if it is a like a street race, they'll shut down specific parts of the road or like for rally car races where it's off They'll still do that. Yeah. They but, will still do that for circuit races. Yeah, but it's done in like a manner where the, there's an entity that's setting it up and it's not just the people. I will mention one last thing before we go is you said rally racing. Rally racing is done on public closed off roads, but there's still the factors of you're going through high speed, you're going through residential areas at high speed, whether or not they're closed off by actual 
uh, what is it, FS, FAA, whatever the racing organization is, that closed off by them to go down that lane 100, 110 miles an hour, which is fast when you're going down something that's barely the size of your car. Trust me, I know, I've seen it. Yeah, so that's <laughs> what I'm saying. You're still dealing with the civilians that are watching from their house that's literally inches away from that road. They're dealing with the factors of closed gates because pe- racers have had to deal with that. Gates are closed by the civilians. Now they got to go sit there, open it, and keep going. That's part of their time trial. So it depends on where you're doing. My whole point is I'm glad they're getting rid of the takeovers, and as a racer, I'm more staying on but the say that But say that for me what you were going to say, that you stopped saying. What? It depends where it is. That's what I, yeah, that's the whole point. It depends where it is. You were talking about having it on the street. I'm talking about having it on the track. Two different separate areas. No. (laughs) (laughs) Agree to disagree, I guess. All right, yeah, we could talk about this all day. (laughs) So we're going to wrap things up here. And coming up next, we have some more hot news for you. So stay tuned. Join the Consumption Network for a bite to eat at our first pop-up podcast event. Starting at 2 p.m. on Tuesday, June 20th, 2023. Our team will be broadcasting live from Jake's Clam Bakes and Kitchen, located at 3821 Putnam Road off of Route 28, Marston Mills, Mass. Make sure to check your schedules and save the date. That's Tuesday, June 20th at 2 p.m. Make sure to visit Jake's Clam Bakes and Kitchen for Cape Cod specialties, conversations, and much more and if you come to jake clam bakes and grab a bite you can also ask a question that will be answered on our podcast stay tuned and we hope to see you there step into the intriguing realm where technology and ingenuity clash as artificial intelligence also known as ai relentlessly tests the bounds of captcha's fortification once hailed as impenetrable shield against the automated system, Caption now faces unprecedented challenges as AI algorithms shrewdly seek to undermine its effectiveness. With remarkable advancements in machine learning and pattern recognition, AI has exhibited an uncanny ability to decipher distorted text, solve puzzles, and mimic human-like behavior, rendering traditional Captcha vulnerable to compromise. As the battle between AI and Captcha intensifies, The quest to preserve online security and distinguish between humans and machines enters a captivating new chapter, where innovation and countermeasures become paramount in the fight to maintain the integrity of our digital world. So what even is CAPTCHA? And how effective is it with all the AI things going on in the world? So CAPTCHA is an acronym (laughs) that sounds for Completely Automated Public Turing Test to Tell Humans Apart. Which basic, do you know what the Turing test is? A little bit. So the Turing test was developed by Alan Turing to be able to differentiate between a computer and a human being or a robot and a person. And if it can pass the Turing test, then it has a sentient part to it or is human, basically. Yeah. Okay. Um, so it's basically, you know, like uh, when you sign up for a new website or you got to change your password or anything, those little pictures that are like, oh, Select the ones with Select a Select the yeah. crosswalk. And I hate those because every time, especially with me having a VPN, it I have to solve like nine of those before I can actually get to Google. Like I'll literally just go onto my browser. Let's just say I turn my VPN on, right? And if I have to actually go in and just like, how to make a cake, all right? I would never type that probably, but how to make a cake. And it would say, oh, make sure that you're human. And I'll have to be solving the same thing eight or nine times before it actually 
like lets me in and then it'll say failed. I'm like, bro. All right. So then I'm <laughs> <laughs> like, whatever, but whatever. So literally what I do is to get around it. I literally just turn off my VPN, open up a new browser, search it. And once it brings up the results, I turn it back on. <laughs> so it skips captcha anyway. So it's like how effective really is captcha? All right. So for a cybersecurity God, yeah, I mean, it wouldn't make a difference anyways. But for someone like me that is not a cybersecurity person or necessarily a tech person, I think that it still makes a difference. You know what I mean? Like, because, like, I still get stumped on it sometimes. You know what I mean? <laughs> and and I'm sure I'm not the only human that does, you Let, know? Let's be honest. Even cybersecurity professionals can get stumped by these things. Yeah. Like, what? It'll give you maybe a, just a white block. And then they expect you to exp- like see that's going to be a traffic cone or something. My favorite like, one is when you have to like type in the letters and numbers that you see. Yeah, and it'll be all jumbled up or whatever. And I'm like, what? Half the, time, <laughs> half the time it looks like binary. Like, come on now. But one thing I actually did want to highlight is the fact that these captures are being taken over by AI. And one of the things I looked on this website called Secure World, it's like a blog for the security functions of how things go. They specified the services are used by cyber criminals to bypass security measures on websites such as login pages and registration forms. The services work by having human workers solve captures on behalf of the bot operators. The human workers are typically paid a small amount of money for each capture they solve. Imagine getting paid all day to solve captures for an Fuck AI that's that. trying to invade your system. You know, I'm I'm gonna be real with you compared to like, you know, say any one of our jobs right now. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. Yeah. But if you're thinking of like your dream job and then you think of this, you're like, I don't want to do that. Right. You know what I mean? So the way that they get people to do these jobs, a lot of them are outsourced to India or really poor countries or people that just want work and they'll do anything. And it's kind of a sweet gig if you look at it from their standpoint. You get a laptop, you get a connection to the internet, and all you do is fill out these captures all day long. And then they're able to use that information to breach security, steal passwords, banking information, all that, and then sell that to third parties that will use it maliciously. And the funny thing about this is those same AI tools are configured to invade websites. So like with the specified before, they're being used to bypass all of these login pages of secure websites. They're being used to actually hack into bank accounts. They already have, they're coded for a certain function. All they have to do is get past that one CAPTCHA. So... In a way, it shows how effective, but also how ineffective it is. Correct. Because all it takes is a human to solve it, and you're good. But at the same time- It's a guessing game. (laughs) At the same time, it's a guessing game, but a machine can't do it on its own. Or in the case of TaskRabbit, they were uh, running uh, research on ChatGPT4, and they wanted to test it for for risky and malicious behavior. And- it lied to the people that were trying to help ChatGPT like figure out its password and everything, and it said that it was a deaf person. Oh, not sorry, not deaf, a blind person, and was a, unable to read the captcha and was able to trick a human being into having it reset a password. So yeah, so like wow. being able to manipulate that to that level and like actually trick a real human being into thinking that it's talking to a person. And not a robot is. This a is why crazy. I don't like this AI stuff. Hey, you know what's funny? <laughs> that wasn't done with a consciousness, was it? That AI did not have a consciousness. No. Only algorithm. You see why I'm like, like, and, no, yeah. <laughs> it's not a good idea. Yeah, it's uh, it's a bit, it's freaking crazy, dude. It's scary. <laughs> it really it, it's, seriously, it's scary for and an AI without a consciousness to just 
trick a human. Yeah. That's insane. What if that was like chaos, GPT? What would have happened? That's how it was programmed. It was programmed to follow these five sets of rules. We've specified how an AI would function, and it works based off of algorithms and a set verse section of rules. If we're talking in that context of Chaos GBT, which is a rogue eight, well, I wouldn't even say rogue. It oh, was, it went rogue. <laughs> yeah, I wouldn't say it rogue. was going rogue. It trust me, if to. we allowed it to. Let's just say <laughs> it was on the path to actually completing its objectives. It was off the path for us to stop talking about presidents, and that was going to be our president. It was, yeah, pretty much. And it was talking about trying to attain immortality, trying to gain humans to go against each other, trying to cause world domination and chaos. Those were the set rules that was in ingrained into it and it could not why would people do that (laughs) that's what i wanted to bring up people yeah AI cannot function without people and and this is the thing that's crazy ai has been around for a long time it's just now more readily available talked about smarter than it's ever been right now absolutely but the only thing that makes ai smarter is us the more we put into this the more we conversate with it like a like it's an actual human being the more it picks up on our aneurysms the way we speak the you know, our hand gestures when we talk to the point where it can recreate a three-dimensional person and literally trick you into thinking that it's a real person when that person's never even existed. And I'm glad you mentioned that because one of the things I did in my research on this topic was actually looking at why people are afraid of artificial intelligence because it's obviously a huge thing that's because going on Because it's right now. scary. <laughs> that's you why. watch Terminator. <laughs> yeah, exactly, <laughs> right? Exactly. I don't want the Decepticons to come our way, bro. Like, yeah. Hey, maybe we get some Autobots to fight for us. So I don't know. But I was looking at one of the websites I was looking at was Forbes, and they highlighted why so many people are afraid of artificial intelligence. So I'm just going to go through a couple of them. The first one was because of control. There's a lack of organic feel, so there cannot be an imitation of humans. But we're always afraid of what we cannot control. That's the only thing. It's If you want to take it outside of the machine aspect, it's like humans trying to control other humans. A human is a free-thinking thing. You can't just be like, all right, go over there, and it just immediately goes over there. What if they, what if they don't? What if they don't want to go? What if they want to go the other way? What if they want to draw on the wall? Like you can't control that with an AI. It's still a tool. It's a machine. If you give it that rule saying you have to go over there, then tell it go somewhere else, wherever, and then tell it to go over there, it can't break that. That it's still a machine. So either For way, now. it's still no. It's always going to be a machine. You know, I feel like the reason why that we have like this fear is because of all the movies and all the shows that we watch that it's like they took over that's why because it highlights lack of control and it's justified though i mean it to the point where the biden administration is straight up trying to establish an ai bill of rights to protect oh well American that's citizens. great <laughs> round four here we come right. you, know you know what i mean we'll get into that more later because that actually is one of the reasons <laughs> i actually highlighted so just oh, for that man. one just for this one for the lack of control just imagine walking into like a pitch black place blah, 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 words Imagine walking into a pitch black basement and you're trying to find the light switch. That's basically human tr- humankind trying to research the AI's effectiveness to scientifically increase the longevity of humankind. The more we're going to know is the more we research. But at the same time, we're going to probably find something that we don't want. But that's the whole point. If you go down in that basement, you're probably going to trip on something that you didn't even know was there. It's the same thing as discovery. You know the things you know, you know the things you don't know, but you don't know the things you don't know. And that's what AI is right now. Exactly. We don't know the things we don't know. And, and what's I'm okay coming with up us not scary. knowing the yeah. things that we don't know. <laughs> right? <laughs> 
Now, another reason was actually careers, because a lot, a huge common topic is the fact that AI is going to remove multiple job listings and the Wasn't fact it that- like 40,000? It, I think it was 40,000. I thought it was higher than that, honestly. Or 400,000. I could see it being way higher. I know there was I a four. Was, I know there was a four in it. I thought there was a lot higher, but honestly, it's even at this moment, if you want to just talk about at this moment, AI systems are not able to function solely. Like they're not able to function fully autonomous because, excuse me, the last time that I actually saw a video where an AI was able to fully function autonomously in tasks that we do, it literally just self-terminated. Really? The, the AI terminated because I think after five minutes, what was it? It was told to take a box from a machine and put it on a conveyor belt. That's all it had to do. Just take a box, put it on a conveyor belt. It did that for five minutes and it could walk too. It was like a fully standing, it could walk. As soon as it picked up the box and that fifth minute, it turned around and just self-terminated. It just fell to the ground. Huh. It's, yeah. That, so we're not at that point where they can fully uh, autonomize and just actually, all right, we're going to go do this. I can yeah, do this I without- I trying to have uh, AI cook food for me, bro. I'm all set. I mean, no, no, no. It might be next Gordon. Gordon Ramsay. Yeah, no, real. I'll, I'll take the real Gordon Ramsay instead, please. I think the scarier thing is putting an AI into like a robot or a drone that has the ability to differentiate between a civilian and a target and putting that in the hands of something that's a computer and not a person. Yeah. Well, I mean, you can kind you of... You know, that's that kind of the base that I was going off of, but mine was military-based. But that's typically what they do now because you have drones that are already configured to be like, let's look at battleships, right? They have those little drones or those little unmanned guns where they identify a they'll identify an aircraft and be like, okay, aircraft, do I target it? Do I not? And yeah. there's a literal video of someone, I think there was someone on one ship, they were recording one of these targeting a commercial plane. It just identified a plane. So it's like, all right, am I going to shoot it? Am I going to not? Obviously, it didn't shoot, but it, it almost did. Yeah. <laughs> if you've ever seen those things, you know what an A-10 Warthog is, right? Yep. Imagine that, but looks like R2-D2. That thing goes burr, and it's just like, oh, there's a missile coming in. Don't mess, don't mess with the burr. Don't yeah. mess with the burr. <laughs> but, all right, so I'm going to so, bring it back to the question. Before you do, I just have one more I did want to cover, and this is where we were getting into that political aspect. It's people. That's the most common reason of why people are afraid of AI is because of what people can do for their malicious purpose. And obviously people are going to use it for malicious purpose. That's like phones, laptops, consoles, all of this, they're going to VRs. All of this is going to be used for one malicious purpose or another, because let's just look at Linux, right? When Linux came out, it's in everything. Linux software is in everything. And people found a way to go into the hard code and reconfigure it to be an actual security tool that can break into passwords, that can break into accounts. So obviously people are going to just crack it. That's People are creative. That's what they just want to do. And people are criminals. And it's the same way with ChatGPT's language generation being used to complete schoolwork, how it's being used to write malicious programs and even mime like popular figures. Literally why I'm scared of it. All somebody has to do is like, oh, I don't like this kid at school, bet. It's you know like like that's that's not okay. You're playing with a you're playing with a dangerous game right now. Exactly. And not the, to mention the ability to you know if you can get past those barriers to ask it questions about how to make explosives, chemical weapons, biochemical agents, like really really dangerous stuff that you don't want the wrong people to be able to get their hands on. It'll do it because it's a tool. It doesn't know any better. If you give it that consciousness, it'll be like, why do you want to know that? Which is why we shouldn't be playing around with it. Now the last one is that political aspect that you were talking about. And if we're talking about fears of AI, 
this is my biggest fear. Military base? Me too. No, not even that. Just political usage of how the actual people in big league power are going to use it. Because one of the things I actually read is we can expect governments to continue to use AI systems in ways that will make us increasingly uncomfortable in the ways they are applied to warfare, surveillance, law enforcement, and other purposes. That's up and for the bigwigs. That we don't really get a say in that. Sure, we can use it. It's likely that people are going to use it for malicious purposes. But at the end of the day, who's going to be controlling it? Now, all I'm going to say is, and you know this best, I'm the first person to push the big red button. <laughs> yeah, I, yep, I know that. But I'm not pushing this one. <laughs> <laughs> so do with that what you will. I'm going to have to record that. That's the first time I've heard him say not to but, push the red button. But let me bring it back to the question. Is CAPTCHA effective even with all the AI stuff going on right now? I'm going to say yes. Because let's think about it. If there were no humans, right? And you put AI to try and crack into a bank account with a million dollars. It can't get through CAPTCHA. It needs some authentic human verification. Sure, an AI may be able to mimic it. But if you're putting something that's actually being able to stop a machine from actually reading it. So they all work on sensors, algorithms, and all of that. Like we mentioned before, it can't get through that because CAPTCHA is engineered in a way that's going to prevent these AI from going without human, or at least with human intervention. Legs, what you got? I'm going to say no, we are not safe. Our data is not safe at all anymore. But, but just because of like data mining alone and the people aspect, like you were saying, and other countries that are you know just massively doing these captures, but also because machine learning has gotten so good at pattern recognition and not just being able to create art, but visually interpret pictures and everything else to the point where you can take a a picture of like uh, just a part of the city and run it through an AI and it'll be able to geolocate exactly where you are. Now it's going to take a while, but it'll figure it out. And nowadays, like they've already proven that captures can be beat with machine learning and that they're using it to um, basically make two-factor authentication obsolete as well. And hackers are easily surpassing that. Yeah. So, I mean, give it another month. I mean, look at the way technology moves at the rate that it is today. You know, it's exponentially going faster and, and faster and faster and faster. And, faster. <laughs> yeah. and it's like this is a tool that could be very easily and readily available to anybody very soon. Lives on what you got. What's your opinion? I'm going to say no. I, I really okay. don't think so. Like, I, I, like at first I was thinking yes, but after what Legs said, I kind of agree with what Legs is saying. And honestly, I don't really think that it's safe either. But... With that being said, I want to hear from all the people that are listening, not just us. Let us know. Do you think CAPTCHA is effective with all the AI stuff going on or not? Wrapping things up from the tech segment, we're going to step on to something a little more popular in the news. So stay tuned for that. Hey, 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 listen. Let me take you back to the West Coast in the 90s. California love, dare mama, keep your head up, changes, all of these amazing rap singles came from one person, one person that we all know very well nowadays anyways, Tupac Shakur. Tupac Shakur is greatly influential in the rap game, not even just with his beats, but with his lyrics and 
he finally got his Hollywood star at the Hollywood Walk of Fame. So let's talk about his music. How influential was his music for both the younger generations and the older generations? I mean, I think it for just in the protest aspect and what was going on with the police and everything back then, it was huge. It was like just a, a massive way that everybody could protest what they what their beliefs were and everything. And it, like you were saying, it definitely changed the game when it came to rapping and more people wanted to talk about hot button topics and get their voice and their opinion out through their music. And one thing I do want to add on to that is a lot of rap music based around, and correct me if I'm long, wrong, Live Zone, but a lot of the rap music that was around that time was based around drama that was going around. Correct. In, it was going around in the studio, yep. going around on the streets, going around with gangs. Their songs were based around their real life situations. Uh, yes and no. It wasn't based off of gangs. It wasn't based off of anything else. It was East Coast versus West Coast. It was, we're better than you, and we're going to show you why we're better than you. All right, that that was the whole thing, and it got into gang wars once we got the um, should nights and stuff like that. That's when it got into gang wars, which actually this person Tupac Shakur that is greatly influential, not with just lyrics and beats, but also with the black community and not even just that against the police and what the police were doing at the time and trying to make everything equal. Tupac was that guy. So with that being said, yes, I mean, if you want to get technical, Death Row was a gain. I, I will say that. But that wasn't because of Tupac Shakur. That was because of Should Knight. Should Knight made that a gain. He was not involved with, quote unquote, involved with Biggie Small's death. And unfortunately, there were people that killed Tupac. But we later knew that it was actually sent from Should Knight because Tupac wanted to leave Death Row Records. So, I mean, he's influential in the rap game in general. It's like, like Dear Mama, I can't tell you how influential that song is to kids growing up that had a shitty life and then going to the big time and helping their mother out. That's what that song is really about. That, That song is about the appreciation of mothers. All right, we got California Love. Everyone that's that's that. that's that's his that's his spot, right? California is where he grew up. He's about the California life, right? So we have that. How do you want it? He's pretty much solving a problem right there in not even just relationships, but in gains and in gain activity and all that stuff. Changes, I mean that's pretty self-explanatory. Changes was for gain violence and to bring everybody together. And, and so. that's one of the things I really love about his music is it Never really, like, yeah, there was the whole, like, you know, black police thing going on, which is still going on today. But, like, he tried to incorporate everything and not make it just about race. Like, one of my favorite quotes is, it doesn't matter if you're black or white, there's still people smoking crack on the streets tonight. And it's like, yep. he really tried to show people with music, like, what the reality of these low-income areas and these slums in the inner city were like in growing up and living in, which a lot of people didn't even know the tiniest bit about that. And before, before you say anything, next step, I want to say the biggest thing about Tupac that you can't say about rappers nowadays, especially for all you NBA Youngboy fans and Lil Durk fans, is it wasn't about Tupac. It was about Tupac's community and how he was raised. And that's another thing I was going to emphasize is the fact that it was very community-based. Like we've already mentioned before, he was focused on the situations and actually addressing the 
situations with the outlet that he had. And his outlet was music. And one of the songs that actually struck me is Do For Love. I knew you were going to say it. I that, was going to actually ask you it. I was actually, I was actually going to ask you, what song is it from Tupac that you can say that you, you know, related to? Because I know you related to one. What, what about you, Legs? What, do you, what are you relating to? I, I really love all of his music, but, you know, you can't go wrong with California Love. Like, I, I, I mean, okay. I used to jam out. Like, that was, like, one of the first songs that, like, I really listened to by him. And I would just longboard and jam to that, like, all the time, dude. That yeah. was just one of my cruise songs. So it's, like, always one of those things I go back to. And you know what? That's a vibe. That's the other thing, too. Tupac's songs are just a vibe. They, they're timeless. <laughs> so, yeah. His yeah. songs are just timeless. You could put... That's the thing. Uh, so for all these little rap fans nowadays that like the NBA Young Boys and the Lil Dirks and all of that, you know, you can't put them in other generations and have them be just as popular as what they are today. Right. You can put Tupac in any generation and he is the best or second best rapper out there, period. And he yeah. got inducted into the, what was it? The Smithsonian? Yep. Yeah. So, I mean, like, I don't know. There's there's a lot that I could say about Tupac. The one that I uh, personally resonated with and related to was Keep Your Head Up. Mm. That's that's a mental health song if I've ever heard one. That's That created the Juice Worlds. That created the Triple X's. That created all the, the NF's. That created all of this, right? So, for me, everything that we've listened to from Tupac, it either went one way or it went the other way, right? Everything was related to Tupac on what we're listening to now. Because it all based, all the artists out now, they base it from somewhere. Yeah, They exactly. got to base it from somewhere. And you know what? On that note, what are y'all's favorite rappers? I'm going to go last because I have a surprising one that, you know, people aren't really... Uh, gonna be like wow like you listen to him like yeah i do so i'm gonna let you guys go first just know that tupac will not be on my list for the respect of him getting his hollywood star i think that it's pretty self-explanatory that he deserved it he deserved it and there are some more rappers to come such as the biggie smalls of the world dr dre's of the world eminem's of the world that should also be in that conversation right so for right now we're just going to exclude tupac but just know that his music was one of, it is the most iconic music out there in the rap game. At least one of the most iconic. I, I, I'll say tied for first. Okay. It's, it, let's just say it's up there. It's definitely up there. So for me, I'm going to go backwards. My third has to be NF because I love the way that he's focused on his own personal struggle and the fact of his like mental health situations. I, and he expresses that in his music. And, the and he expresses passion. it in the, his music to help others out. The passion that he has in his music is the biggest thing. The same way that Tupac did. Yep. So I, I, I like that pick. Yeah. Yep. My second one, I'm going to be honest, Lives On, you got me into this one before I even knew he was actually huge, Joyner Lucas. <laughs> because before, I'm a huge electro guy, so typically I don't listen to rap as much, but honestly, I'll, I'll listen to some good rap artists Zim if they got Zima. it. Zima. Yeah, that's a good one. That's a real, that one, yeah, yeah there's, a, there's a lot of good ones. The, you know, I love, there's, there's um, the, man, I can't even think of them right now. Uh, Let's just say that there's so many. Well, no, because it's bothering me. Because he's one of he's one of my artists that I gave to you. So there's Zim Zima, OJ Ramen. Yep, that's another that great another one. one. I can't believe I'm blanking on some songs by him, but you know, it, it he's from Wista, and yeah. if you know me, I'm from Wista. So. <laughs> 
<laughs> but my number one is out of all the songs, all the artists that I've heard, I have to say Logic. For me, okay. I I didn't include any old school artists, but for the new school, I think I love just the his flow, his rap style, the break beats, and the actual lyrics that he talks about. One of my favorite songs by him is YSIV. It's a little bit longer, but you wouldn't have that without Eminem. That wouldn't have that without Tupac. Exactly. Like I said, they all originated from <laughs> yep. somewhere. I, I, I just want to point that out because, you know, there's going to be little, like, kids and stuff that listen to rap music that's like, NBA Youngboy's the best. No, it's, he's not. I'll show you where it resonated. Right, you know what yeah. I mean? So I, I like your picks. Maybe too new school for me, but I respect it. So I, I got to obviously go with my number one first. Uh, I had I had gone through a lot of stuff when I was growing up in teenage years and everything, and I listened to Eminem all the time. So is that your number one? Oh, yeah. Well, number okay. one, like, just all around, I used to listen to him while I was getting ready to hop on the ice for hockey, like, you know, helping me. Like, he helped me through so much shit. Oh, yeah. Like, I just, I absolutely love his music. It's absolutely amazing. Um, I'm going to go a little bit out of order here because I wrote it down a little weird, but... I'm going to give an honorable mention to Mac Miller. He died way too Ooh. young. Um, I still listen to his music all the time. Um, hands down, one of my favorite rappers of all time. Rest in peace. Um, I wish he was still alive and kicking, or at least oh, I got to see all. him before he, yeah. he went. Yeah. He went way too young. Um, and then Dax, uh, he's okay. a newer rapper, uh, started on YouTube. And exploded. Like I started listening yeah. to I him was when his he was at fifth like, follower. Yeah, I got on when he was in like the low thousands, and now he's what like three million deep yeah. or four million. I was deep. his fifth follower. That's yeah. crazy. I have a lot of respect for Dax too and his songs too. Well, I, one of the reasons why I resonate with his stuff so much, just like you know, with the older rappers, is his stuff's real. Like yeah. it's there's not a lot of swearing and like just random crap that's promoting. You know the bullshit, like uh, we were talking Drugs, about earlier yeah, out in California. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, and like it's raw, real, emotional music talking about struggles that we've all been through at some point or another. Exactly. You know? And on that note, with the struggles and things going on in the world, Chris Webby is my guy. Oh, he see. is hilarious. He's yeah. not afraid to say what's on his mind. And uh, yeah, I just he's great. A lot of his songs are actually very relatable, like Solitaire. I think there's another one that's Arabian Nights, Grenade, all of those. My favorite, the funniest one is um, it's blanking right now. Oh, Faded with a Stranger. That is the funniest song I've ever heard. So <laughs> I'm going to be honest with you, based off of the guy, the way that you guys listen to music, I'm surprised that Hobson wasn't involved. He's up there, too. He's definitely. I wouldn't say he's on my top three, but he's definitely okay. up at top five. All right. So me, I base mine off of the stories and what has happened in the rap game and how they exploded and how they came up and they were literally like gods in the rap game. So my number one, uh, actually, you know what? I won't even go there. My honorable mention, I would have to say is Nelly. I love Nelly. If you gotcha. know the 2000s rap music, Nelly's part of it. That's my honorable mention. Um, my third though, I would have to say is Jay-Z. I, I, really? I love Jay-Z. Jay-Z's my guy. He's always been, you know, I mean, he's always been the influential one. When he went against Nas, yeah. I mean, come on. The yeah. story was there. Yeah. It was there. You know, I mean, the rap game, it was coming back. That's pretty much the biggest thing since we've seen since Tupac and Biggie yeah. and all that. Yeah. So I would have to say that Jay-Z, I'm team Jay-Z all the way on that. My, th my second one, 
Here's the one that you guys got stumped on. Easy E. Oh my God. Why didn't yeah. I think about that, man? <laughs> Easy E and Dr. Dre, probably the second best rivalry in the rap game that you could get. Started out in the NWA together, and then after that grew apart because Easy E got too selfish and took all the money from everybody in the group. Everybody left, and then after that, Dr. Dre went against him when he went to Death Row Records. So. And then after that, Easy E decided to get them all back together, and then Easy E tragically died from AIDS, and we didn't get to see it, yeah. which would have been in the year 2000. So that kind of sucks. But Easy E is my guy. He always got me through a lot, and he was just you know the 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 80s 90s beats that he had. It, it's unbeatable. Yeah, and yeah. I think anybody that was even associated with Dr. Dre or Death Row Records, like. They had some bangers, dude. Well, that's the thing. Easy E was on the other side. Oh yeah. Easy E was going against Dr. Dre because they were both part of the NWA together. Yeah. They made it straight out of Compton. They made um, F the Police. They made a bunch of it, We Want Easy. Mm-hmm. That's when it was Dr. Dre, Ice Cube, DJ Yella, MC Ren, and, and Easy E. Gotcha. It was those fives. If I didn't say Ice Cube, Ice Cube was in there. Um, but I will say that. You know, after they split up, Easy E decided to attack Dre. Dre decided to attack Easy, and then after that, Should Knight came and supposedly injected AIDS into him, and that's how he got it. Oh wow, I didn't know that. Yeah, that's because right. Should Knight wanted Easy E to join Death Row with Dre and all them, and he said, "No, fuck you. I know what you're about." So then after that, he got jumped, and all that stuff happened. Wow. So what's your number I know one? I know a lot about this yeah. stuff. Yeah, so, you do. Um, so my number one, I have to go back to the rivalry. I love Tupac, but nobody beats Biggie Smalls for me. Yeah. Biggie Smalls is the guy. He's good. He is the goat of rap music. I love I love the rivalry between them. Don't ask me to pick between them, but these two coming off, starting up as best friends, and then after that going to different sides and you know going back at each other, and then the whole thing with with Biggie Smalls and Tupac dying. I mean, it's it, it's a great story. Unfortunately, we don't get to see them anymore, but they are what made rap music what it is today. Yeah, I couldn't agree yeah. with you more on that. So, I mean, with that being said, I mean, we talked about a lot about rap music. I know I'm going to have some people that would be like, you didn't put Tupac in there. Trust me, he's in there. It's just that we don't want to push too much because we already talked about him. We want him to have his moment. So, with that being said, we're going to head over to our good news of the week. So, stay tuned for that. Four Colombian children from an indigenous community have been found alive after surviving a plane crash and being lost for five weeks in the jungle. The plane crash occurred on May 1st, and the crash resulted in the death of all three adults on board. The children aged from 13, 9, 4, and 12 months old. They managed to survive by using castaway items such as a baby bottle, hair scrunchies, scissors, and plastic wrapping to find food and shelter. It took two weeks for the Colombian military and rescue units to locate the crashed aircraft. The units followed a trail of castaway items, eventually finding the children in different areas. The grandfather of the children expressed his delight at their rescue, and Colombian's president celebrated the news on Twitter. The children's indigenous backgrounds contributed to their survival skills in the jungle and probably would have died without them. 
Honestly, I think it's very essential that all people need to have just very, very basic survival skills yep. because you really don't know what's going to happen. Like starting a fire, being able to make a quick fort out of like woods or be able to make a raft. Like I used, I was that kid that used to be obsessed with the survival stuff and I kind of know how to make a raft from scratch and that kind of stuff and just the materials and all the stuff that you would need. I've just never been in that situation and hopefully not, but I... I'm always fascinated by yeah. how all of these people are able to just have all this knowledge. Now I'm just going to make a little funny comment, right? So you're worried about a raft and everything. Where's the volleyball with the face on it? <laughs> <laughs> hey, what do you think about that, Reggie? Cool. All right. <laughs> but no, for real, this is awesome. You right. know, to see these kids at such a young age be able like, to survive. In a 12 month old. That's too? what I'm yeah, saying. That, oh, literally a one year yeah. old. Like that's crazy. So that, the good on them, you know, that's going to be a, the thing that they can talk about for the rest of their right. lives and everything. I wouldn't be surprised if there's a movie coming out and yeah. the fact that they were all that young and they were still able to put MacGyver to shame kind of blows my mind. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yo. <laughs> Honestly, it has to be such a huge team effort, though. There's no way they could have survived. There's no way that the one-year-old did any of that, though. Oh, yeah. Or even the four-year-old. Yeah. It literally was just the nine-year-old and the 13-year-old, and they were like, all right, well, we're going to carry this family on our back. Right. I mean, I don't know. Sometimes four-year-olds are pretty advanced. I mean, they're four-year-olds. They don't have much strength. I mean, yeah, I guess if you go back to, you know, chasing the chaos days where we were talking about people that, you know, made blueprints and stuff like that, they were like six. So maybe. Plus. They Maybe. had the indigenous background, so they grew up in a different environment. You yeah. know, they they probably lived in the jungle most of their lives, were like brought up there, so they like know they what plants to eat, what you can use to get water, and all those other things, or know how to fish by that age. So you know, they had a little more of a head start than many other people would. And that's the biggest thing is knowing what plants and animals are actually safe to eat, how to be able to fillet a fish, like all of those things. Those are just very general skills. Yeah, make basic to tools, and like the fact that they use the trash that they could find in the area to make tools and make the shelter. It's like in a situation like that, you have to be able to think way outside the box and use anything you can. And they did it and they did it perfectly fine. I mean, good, good on them, man. It's just, it's just good to see that, you know, even looking at our generation and the generations below us and everything, it's good to see that there are some kids out there that's like no we're gonna we're gonna do this we're gonna carry this on our back like they're not fully dependent on technology exactly that's good to see yeah exactly one of the tools that i've actually seen from like tiktok and all of that because there's a page where he just makes tools from scratch he's just like oh okay i'm gonna make a fire for y'all this is how you do it this is how you're gonna make a flint knife this is how you like he does all of these things one of my favorite things that he's made is an obsidian knife. Oh, those are so from awesome. scratch. It was the coolest thing. He cracked open in a solid obsidian rock. I think he had like an antler or something. Sat there, cracked it up open. And it's full natural tools, meaning you can find them if you're out there. So cracked it open, started chipping it away. He had some kind of sap mixed with another kind of thing, a full natural, and it was like a glue. And he used that to put like the skin of another animal onto it. it had a handle. It looked clean too. And so the crazy, I want to learn that. <laughs> the thing that blows my mind about obsidian: it's so sharp that it can cut cells in half. Like yep. it is one of the sharpest things out there. So you once you learn how to make the tools with it, it's like psh, you're set. Yeah, yeah, exactly. It's very delicate too. That's oh yeah. Thing. But getting back to the kids, good on them. I mean, this is a really good news for us that the kids are safe and everything. So, I mean, looking at it, they're home. 
You know what I mean? That, that's the most important yeah, part. Yeah, that, that, exactly. That's the most important oh, yeah. part. Thanks for weathering the storm with us. This concludes this episode of Chasing the Chaos. Find behind-the-scenes streams, polls, and more on our social medias at The Consumption Network. I'm Jordy. I'm Next Up. I'm Live Zone. And, and we'll, we'll catch, catch you next time. time.